Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. We are in a series of the Book of Acts called the Upside Down Series. I am so glad you tuned in. We teach the Bible, providing biblical truth for everyday life. So no matter what you're going through right now, I believe with all my heart that God's Word will have power to change you and to help you and to encourage you. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a physician by practice and also run a ministry of teaching the Bible and writing about God. You can find me at livingwithpower.org. In the meantime, I want you to sit back and listen up as we delve into the book of Acts and focus on God's word and ask the Lord to change us in every way that he needs to. Won't you do that with me? And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, I hope you do so now. I hope you tell your friends about it. And I hope that you're finding these teachings useful for you. So let's listen up and see what God has for us today. I'm so excited to be back in Acts 5 today. And uh, if you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. You should have your Bibles. I guess that's a rhetorical question. In point of review, though, before we do... Remember that Acts is uh, uh, the book of the Bible that comes after the four Gospels. The Gospels are the story of Jesus, and in them we hear all about him. We've studied already last year the book of Luke, and that was a great time uh, in the Word. And of course, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And uh, we started the book in Acts 1, where the disciples were getting the promise that the Holy Spirit would come. You guys remember that? And there's a key verse in chapter 1, verse 8. That says, but you will receive power. Jesus said to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we've been seeing how in Jerusalem is where the work is starting. And we kind of went to Acts 2. Of course, the Holy Spirit did come as promised. And we had the great uh, message at Pentecost and, and the uh, Holy Spirit actually appearing uh, over um, the, uh, the people who were at that service. And all of the town was talking about it. And 3,000 people came to Christ in Acts 2. Remember that? Just doing a little review. Some of you are just joining us for the first time. And, uh, and we, we find out some characteristics of the first church in Acts 2. And it was, it was an amazing church. It was a church that was unified. It was a church where everybody shared everything in common, which I think is really cool. It's like if you met someone, you're like, hey, I, I really like your car. It was kind of like, oh, well, why, why don't you drive it home today? Right? And like you'd go to someone's house and be like, this sofa is so pretty. Well, you know, we have everything in common. Just take it. No, it wasn't quite like that. But, uh, but it'd be nice if it was like that, right? Or not, depending on how much you like your couch. Then we got to Acts 3, and in Acts 3, we start seeing Peter and John doing these. They, of course, the, the beggar was raised, and they, they're doing these signs and wonders. And, and of course, everything's doing great, but soon opposition was going to start. And we see that in Acts 4, and we see the boldness of Peter and John and the other apostles as they're attacked by uh, the religious people of the day. And it's amazing to see that boldness. But remember, we're studying the Upside Down series, and those are people whose lives were turned upside down. Peter went from a man who couldn't stand up to a servant girl and now he is the guy who's leading this group of believers who are worshiping the uh, Christ who was killed and has risen from the dead and of course the religious people don't believe it or maybe they do but they haven't come to terms with what they've done and so there's Peter and the apostles and we catch them and I'm going to actually start reading in a moment in Acts chapter 4 I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 32 they, the apostles and the disciples had just had a prayer meeting where they had prayed for more boldness it wasn't enough. They wanted more boldness. They could see that the Holy Spirit was at work, and they're like, we just need more of that, Lord. We need you to work more mightily in us, and we're going to see in a moment how he, God answered that prayer, and then some, and we're going to see that as we move forward in the book of Acts. But we get to verse 32 of chapter 4, leading into the study tonight of chapter 5, but I'm going to read a few verses there. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart 
and Saul. And, and we see that again and again, guys. Remember, there's unity in that church. It, it, they're, they're unified. They're not arguing over petty things. They have one thing in common. They've seen Jesus Christ dying and rising again, and they understand that that's all that it's about. There's nothing else that matters. And, and so all the other stuff that happens in the modern-day church that, that frankly comes up later in the book of Acts is not there yet because they're all unified in one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles, and by the way, we're going to see more and more of that when there's unity and purity, we will see how power is, it will come through. The Holy Spirit power will come through when the believers of Jesus Christ are unified and it says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they're walking around saying, Jesus is risen. We saw him. Here's what happened. And said, a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now we get to verse 36, and pay attention to this man. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And the insinuation in this verse is that this man, Barnabas, or, or uh, his original name was Joseph, the son of encouragement, he, he had this idea, he went and sold his field, and he, the insinuation is that he gave all of the money out of that proceed. And that little tidbit is put there, and we're going to lead right into chapter 5. I've called tonight's lesson, Lies, Choices, and Crossroads. And I was driving over tonight, and I was thinking, that almost sounds, sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? And it's funny, because the chapter reads a little bit like a soap opera. You may be wondering, how do I know? I don't watch soap operas. That's so 80s, isn't it? Well, I, I wish that I could say that Acts 5 was so 80s or 1680s or 1480s, but unfortunately so many of us will read this passage and be afraid. You know, it's interesting because I don't get afraid of much. I really, I really don't. I don't know how many of you live alone. I live alone, and I come home from work sometimes at 2 in the morning, and I, I, would, I would have thought that I would be afraid. People always say, aren't you afraid of going home? And the truth is I'm not. Really, I'm not. And I don't know if it's just my nature or a gene that I inherited. I don't know. But I'm not much afraid. I, I work in an ER. I think that has dulled me to certain fears too. I used to be really afraid. I used to be afraid when like, the nurses would come in and be like, someone's dying, they're coming in the hospital, and I used to get a little bit afraid. But, but you know, over the years now, I don't get afraid. I really don't. And so, so the nurses may be like, there's a kid seizing in room one. And, you know, I just kind of like roll my eyes a little, but I hide it because I don't want them to be annoyed with me. Nurses hate it when doctors rolls, rolls their eyes at them. And so I just kind of look and I, and I say, okay, I'll be there in a minute. And they don't want to hear that when the kid is seizing, but in my mind, I think like, bring it, bring it. Like, I don't mind. Like, I like a little adrenaline. I don't mind that. So not many things make me afraid. I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm really not. I think you can squish them. I'm a lot bigger than most spiders. And so I, I just, I, I'm not afraid of much. But, but look, when I read Acts 5, I'm a little bit afraid. There are very few stories in scriptures, in this scripture that make me afraid. And, and Acts 5 ranks probably in the top three. And if you haven't read that story in a while, I think that you're going to probably find the same. But, but I hope that as we study the lesson today, we will learn from this story rather than let it paralyze us in our faith. And I believe that it's there for a reason. It's interesting that Luke would write that story. If I was a writer of a book, I would try to hide some of those type of stories, wouldn't you? 
When you're trying to grow, to, to tell the story of the growth of a church, I kind of hide a little bit of those stories. Like, we, don't, we want to grow the church. We don't want to tell them about, about what's happening in, in, in our church that may look bad because some people may not understand it. Well, listen to the story. It says, but a man named Ananias, and, and but a man, that word but is in contrast to who? Who did we just study about? Barnabas. So you got Barnabas on the side now. But a man named Ananias, by the way, do you know what the word Ananias means? It means gracious. With his wife, Sapphira, which means beautiful, so gracious and beautiful, turned out not to be so gracious and beautiful. And I know you guys have done your homework, so you know what's coming, but it says they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. For those of you who are not in the medical profession, that means he died. It says, the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. I, I had a chuckle this afternoon. I called my mom, and I was, I was just picking her brains a little. I said, I'm a little nervous about teaching this section. And I, I said, you know what? What do you think of the story? I mean, just help me out. Throw me a nugget. And she says, you know, all I want to know about the story, she's, she's hitting her seventh decade now, and, and so she's been a Christian a long time. She got saved when she was in her 20s, so let's say 50 years with the Lord. And she said, of all the stories in the Bible, the one thing I can't understand is how did she last those three hours without finding out that her husband had died? <laughs> I said, well, Mom, that's interesting because I had so many other questions about this passage, and I don't think we're going to be able to answer that, but I bet she was cooking dinner for her husband or something. But we don't know. We will never know. But, but he, there was enough time for him to be buried. She shows up, and Peter says to her in verse 8, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And, and I would say that the reaction that most of us feel after reading the story is probably the same. I can just imagine the talk. I mean, everybody likes a good story. I don't know if I'd call this a good story, but I can imagine for weeks and months the members of that church gathering together and saying, can you believe what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Write this down, point number one today in your notes. You can lie to others, but you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. You can lie to others, but you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? That people lie sometimes. You say, not me, I never lie. Well, now you're lying. And, and, and look, and it's, it's convicting. Because it doesn't stop when you become a Christian, does it? I thought so much this week about the book of 1 John. 1 John is written to believers, if you go and study that book. And in it, there are so many statements where it says that if you, if you, if you do this, then you're not a liar. But if you don't do this, then you're a liar. And you kind of go through the list. And just three things I jotted down. Because you go, you know, how do we lie to the Holy Spirit as believers? And, and you don't have to write the references. You can just go through 1 John and do your own study. But in 1 John chapter 2, it says, if you say you know him, but you don't obey him, you're lying. 
And see, so many of us, we, we say we know God, but are you keeping his commandments? It's the same principle. I mean, you say, I, don't, I never lied to the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's easy to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira and be like, well, I'm glad it happened to them, but, but boy, this is never going to happen to me. But, but really, how much different are we than them? First John, you kind of go through other ways that we lie to the Holy Spirit. It says, if you say you love me, but hate your brother, you're lying. And, and, and you can sit and argue about, does that mean a Christian brother or a real brother? I mean, look, my, we, we have four brothers and sisters in my home within five years of each other. We've had a lot of discussions about that verse. I, I mean your own brother. It means your Christian brother. And I love my Christian brothers, but I don't love this brother. And I, but you're my Christian brother, but you're... Well, okay, just love. Just love. Another one in First John, it says, it, it, again, if you, if, you, um, uh, if you say you love him, but you keep on sinning. I think you see that all throughout the book. You keep on sinning other than just obeying him, but willful sin. And I think about my life, I think about standing up here and teaching about Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, think about what they did. So I'm going to just use some numbers for ease of understanding. Say they sold a piece of land for $500,000 in today's market. That's, that's a pretty good piece of land, but we live in Chicago, so that's really actually maybe quite shabby but, but, but for some. But, but so say they sold it, and they made $500,000, and they gave away $200,000. That's a lot. Would you guys, let's vote. How many of you think $200,000 is a lot of money? It's a lot. But they kept back 300. Now, now we don't know what it was. We don't know if it was 100 versus 400 or 200 and 250. We, we don't know. We just know that the appearance of it was that they gave everything. And so you say, what was their sin? Was it that they lied? Or was it that they wanted people to think that they were more godly than they, than they were? It, it's all of that. You say, wait, did God kill them because they were hypocrites? And how dare we? How dare anyone teach on that when our hearts are so full of hypocrisy? I think about the things that have happened in my life. I know that some of you sitting here would think the same thing. If the Spirit would soften your heart, you would immediately say, but I've been guilty of hypocrisy in my life. And yet here we are, breathing, still alive. So I don't understand this kind of God. I don't understand this God. And and I, I, I just jotted this down. God is a lot more serious about himself than I am about him. Do, do you believe that? That I think sometimes we, we minimize uh, how, the seriousness of obeying the Lord. I believe God is a lot more serious about himself than we are about him. And, and we, we, in our minds, we make rules on God's grace and God's judgment. And, and boy, he's a lot more gracious to me than he is to anybody else. But is he? Well, he's certainly merciful to us tonight. Why would God do that? I thought so much about that this week. Well, why would God kill those two? And there's so many reasons that, that you can study it and you can find so many reasons. This was the first, this was the beginning of the church. This isn't, we're not talking about the modern day church. We're talking about the beginning of the church. And Jesus had just spent three years of his life ministering and talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I mean, that was their biggest mistake. And so how could the church of Jesus Christ begin with the root of hypocrisy in it? And so it had to get out. You see, it had to be set up as an example so that the purity now of the church, as the church was made pure by the Spirit of God, it would then become a powerful church. And by the way, that still applies to today. Our church will not be powerful unless it is pure. And see, God doesn't care so much as, uh, uh, he doesn't care as much about what we do as much as he cares about what's in our hearts. Because we could look at each other and say, oh, so-and-so gave $200,000. They're amazing people. But, but God isn't impressed with that, you see. 
What God cares about is the condition of our heart. And it's ironic because God didn't demand that they give the land. There's nowhere. We've read Acts 1 through 5. You guys have done your homework diligently. Have we seen any verse yet that says, after you get saved, you've got to sell your land, sell your possessions, and give them? This was the idea of the believers. The Holy Spirit didn't mandate that. See, we have a habit very much like Ananias and Sapphira and the early Christians to want to add to what the Holy Spirit asks us to do. And then we don't do it well, and we start justifying and analyzing. I was thinking a lot about that. I mean, we add to, to you know, we, we, we start getting involved in, in too many things, and then we get upset because things, we don't have enough time to spend with the Lord. And, and take a step back a minute, get some perspective. God never asked us to do those things. He asks us to love him and to love others. And so here's Ananias and Sapphira. They were better off had they not sold the land. Do you see it? They would have had the land. They would have been peaceful Christians. But no, they were looking for self-seeking. Say, where did the problem start? I wrote this down for point number two. Your life is made up of a series of choices. Your life is made up of a series of choices. So, I mean, we all know that. We understand that. I mean, you go through high school. You, you choose to study. You do well. You get into college. You choose a major. You choose a boyfriend. Maybe not all of us do, but, but some of us do. Some of you do. But, but you go through. You choose to get married or you choose not to. And your life takes on a certain shape. And I thought a little bit about choices, and I wrote this down. The choices you make begin in your heart. That's biblical. The choices you make begin in your heart. Jot down Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart, for out of it proceeds the issues of life. Guard your heart. Jot down this other reference, Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, Jesus teaches that it is the heart that, that directs the actions. He says this, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart in Matthew 15, verse 18. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. See, so your heart determines your actions and your choices. And, and, and you, back in Acts 5, you kind of go back to verse 3 of Acts 5. What does it say there? But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Later on in, in verse uh, 4, it says, Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Remember the passage in James 4, where it says that when, when you're tempted, let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own sin and enticed. Then de, or, or, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So you start with a desire in your heart. You say, why do I act badly? Well, because it starts in your heart. You, you set your heart on something that is wrong. And you think about it, and you mull it over, and can you picture Ananias and Sapphira? Can you picture them at dinner talking about Barnabas? Can you believe Barnabas? He sold his land. and Can you believe how everyone in the church, you know, they're going to make him an elder now. Can you, yeah, picture the conversation. Hey, this, Barnabas, he's a Levite, you know. Can you see them at dinner? And who, I wonder who thought about it. Was it Ananias or Sapphira? Oh, honey, I have an idea. We got that extra piece of land. Why don't we sell it? What? Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, we'll look so good. We'll give $200,000. We'll keep three hundred. We're, we're both winners. Everybody's a winner. And never had it occurred to them that they were lying to the Holy Spirit. Or maybe it did occur to them. Desire, when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The choices you make begin in your heart. 
But the choices that you make impact those around you. I mean, Ananias' choice impacted Sapphira, or vice versa. We know in the Garden of Eden, it was Eve's choice that impacted Adam. Doesn't matter. Your choices will affect someone. But look, look, their choices affected the rest of the church. You say, how? Well, great fear came upon them. Everybody was afraid. You say, well, what did that fear do? Did it draw them to the church or away? Both. It drew them both. Look at verse 12. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now verse 13 says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high regard. Can, can, I mean, think about it. You're living the community. These two people had just sold the land, given some money, and they're dead. Believe me, the last place I want to be on a Sunday is there. Because I'd be a little bit scared. I mean, I, maybe you guys aren't afraid of death, but I don't know. I just don't want that to happen to me. And so I, it, that's kind of how some people were in the community. They're like, ooh. I, I mean, they wanted to see what was happening, but it's like, let's, let's leave about 10 or 20 feet between Peter and us. I mean, and by the way, a lot of people thought Peter killed them, but Peter didn't kill them. Peter just had the understanding from the Holy Spirit of what had happened. I mean, it's pretty amazing. By the way, it's amazing that Peter knew what had happened. I mean, another wonder of the Holy Spirit, right? Hey, think about Peter. Here's Peter. He's standing in front of Ananias and Sapphira. They're talking about the piece of land. Who, remember who Peter was. He was the guy in the garden who denied the Savior. It blows the mind. I wonder what Peter thought. I mean, here these people die over this money thing. Are you ever amazed by God's ways? Remember it's Achan in the Old Testament in Joshua 7? Same thing happened. They went and pilfered the land. They weren't supposed to keep anything. He kept something, hid it under, underneath his, the ground in his tent, and his whole family ended up dying for it because they weren't supposed to take anything from the enemy. Remember Uzzah in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel? He touches the ark, and he's dead right there. You go, he just touched the ark. I think about Moses who struck the rock twice, never saw the promised land or saw it from afar. I think about David who numbered the people. And he suffered a plague that killed thousands. He just numbered the people. You see, how is, God's ways are so beyond our ways. I don't understand it. Got to thinking about the parable. Do you know that parable about the, the uh, guy who went out to get laborers for the vineyard? And he shows up at 9 in the morning. He get, gathers a few laborers. He says, I'm going to pay you a dollar for the day. They say, okay. They go and work all day. Then you show up at noon. He finds another group of people. says, I'm going to pay you a dollar a day. They go, okay. They go and work in the vineyard. Then he shows up at 3 in the evening. He says, hey, if you go and work in the field, I'm going to pay you a dollar a day. They go, okay. They go and work for three hours. At 6 o'clock in the evening, the same thing happens. Everybody gathers about 9 o'clock at night. I'm improvising the numbers, but I'm just giving you an idea of that. And by the way, that's in Matthew 20, I think. And so they all gather in the afternoon, and the, the master of the vineyard goes and pays the sh guys who showed up at 9 in the morning a dollar. Then he goes to the guys at noon, and he gives them a dollar. Then he goes to the guys at 3, gives them a dollar, and the guys at 6. And, and, and the, the laborers are baffled. Whoa, 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 you're giving me a dollar? I worked all day. How are you giving me a dollar? What about the guy who showed up at 6? He just worked for three hours. Why are you giving him a dollar to? Jesus was sharing that story. You go, that's not fair. It's a picture of God and his choices. You say, why would God give a dollar to the guys who showed up at three? And the same thing for the guys who, who showed up at six and the same thing for the guys who showed up at nine in the morning. You tell me about God's ways. Listen, they are far higher than our ways. I cannot begin to explain them to you. 
My heart resonates with Paul in, in Romans where he says, who can understand the mind of God? He says, oh, the depth of the riches in Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You say, but, but, but that's, that's, that's so depressing. What are you telling us about two people who gave a portion and they, I know they lied, but like lying isn't as bad as other sins. I mean, think about all the things that we think are so bad. And you're like, I mean, they just lied and they gave. It's not like they weren't giving. They were generous. They just, I mean, who has known the mind of the Lord? I think about the things that we do in our lives and we think that's not a big deal. Who are we to decide? And, and yet my... Uh, rather than get depressed, what has baffled me as I've thought about teaching this lesson, what has shook me is that I can actually stand here and by God's mercy, I can teach this and I know with confidence that I can enter the throne room of God with mercy where, I, where, I can, where he has guaranteed me mercy and grace. And I don't understand how they were. I don't know if Ananias and Sapphira were really believers. I think they were. I don't know if they just were used as an example for the rest. I don't know. I don't know if the bad things that are happening in our life are partially judgment for things that we are overlooking looking and we just keep looking at God and saying why 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 isn't this happening why isn't that happening maybe God is trying to purify us I don't know you have to answer those questions in your life but I know that God has given me far more grace than I have ever deserved in Romans he says he talks about that he says he'll give mercy to whom he will give mercy Later, he says, can the, uh, he says, well, why, uh, um, sorry, in Romans 9, he says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one vessel for dishonorable use? Do you understand? God can do anything he wants to do. He doesn't answer to us. Our reaction to this passage should be one of amazing grace. That we would be here reading about the story, thinking about our lives, reviewing in, in our mind. I don't know if you guys have a video that runs in your mind of all the things that you have done this week. And thinking, I can't believe God hasn't struck me dead over that. I can't believe God would still use me in my workplace, despite the fact that I've said this and done that and thought this and done that. Think about those things that God sees there's not one portion. It's not like a, he doesn't TiVo your minds, you know, the things that you do and, and skip out the bad parts. He doesn't do that. There's no, there's no DVR in heaven. He's seeing everything. Everything. Every thought. You see someone, you don't like them, you wish they weren't there. You, you see a, a thing. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is that goes through your mind. The Holy Spirit knows it. That brings fear in my life. And yet it brings thanksgiving that a God would be so merciful to still use me, to still allow me to grow and to change. Well, that's our teaching for today. And I'm so glad you checked in. And I pray that God is at work in your life, even as you conclude this time in the Word. Hey, I can't wait to be back with you next week. In the meantime, know that you can download our app. It's called the Living With Power app, where you can access all teachings and resources at your fingertip. You can also spend some time on our website. It's the livingwithpower.org website, where you can also find out about our global work. Uh, we have a store that you can buy more resources on or download free studies. Hey, are you following me on Instagram? I show up daily trying to provide encouragement to you and a little tidbit of God's word in a world of social media. And if you are here for the first time, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. And if you've been here before, please come back again and subscribe to this podcast. But more importantly, just know that God loves you. He's for you. And I can't wait to be back with you next week. <music>